Hey, Dr. Darko, where do you go to get your life and disability insurance? I went to Set for Life Insurance. They helped me save over 30% compared to my previous policy. Wow. I'm paying an arm and a leg for my life and disability insurance. What's that company called again? Set for Life Insurance. Check them out at setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you. Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Hey docs, are you looking to learn how to become a physician leader? Then Physician CEO is for you. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program designed for physicians and developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. So learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back. What's up? What's good? It's your boy, Dr. Nee here, the doc outside the box, and I hope the new year is going great for you all. I hope that your New Year's resolutions are still keeping up. I know maybe some of you all have fallen off, but here's a little life hack, a little trick that I've used. Basically, what I did now is I'm starting to just do my New Year's resolutions a couple of weeks, maybe even a month before the year begins so that technically it's not a New Year's resolution. Mine this year basically is to be a lot more healthier, eat a lot less maybe even try some of that intermittent fasting out there and just be a little bit more healthier as I know I'm going back on the locums circuit and I'm going to be more aggressive with flying out and doing things and living in a hotel. So this has been my resolution. So far, I've been keeping up. I hope you all have been keeping up with yours, whatever it may be, whether it's listening to more episodes, being a doc outside the box, maybe taking that, you know, that trip that you've always wanted to take, or maybe leaving that job that you always wanted to leave. I hope you all you know, keep up with those resolutions. And if you don't, it's all good. Go ahead and write me and let me know what's holding you back, what you want to take action on. And let's chat. Let's connect. On this episode, this is going to be a great one. This episode, I want you all to really briefly imagine living on the beaches of Southern California one minute. And then literally the next minute, you're off to either Haiti or Mongolia or whatever, you know, third world country. And you're literally changing someone's life by doing a surgery that this person would never have access to just because of where that person was born in their life, right? To me, that's really amazing to really have a care for or to be able to impact someone's life who's thousands of miles away. And that's what my next guest does literally on a regular basis. So my next guest is a self-proclaimed nomad. Her name is Dr. Suzanne Yoder. And she always describes herself as always having a hard time sitting still. And I think this is mainly because she moved a lot as a child. But the one constant thing that she says in her life was that she knew she always wanted to be a doctor. Once she got that MD, once she got the credentials afterwards, and she quickly realized that, you know, private practice was not for her. And she left her job, which was in Colorado, and moved to Southern California and lived life on her own terms. I'm talking about. She was able to solidify her love for international work, as well as she recognized her longing to return to the ocean. And I'm down for that. Working as a locums allows her the time, the flexibility, 
to really dedicate more energy to working with international volunteer organizations. She's worked on volunteer projects in Vietnam, Bolivia, Belize, Haiti, Mongolia, Tanzania. I really want her frequent flyer miles. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Yoder, she has even started her own project in Jacmel, Haiti, where her team has just completed their sixth year providing pediatric general surgery care. Currently, right now, she lives in Shell Beach, California with her boyfriend, with her dog. And she's on the show today to talk about balancing locums with global surgery and literally not being afraid to practice on her own terms. This is going to be a good one, y'all. I want you all to listen to this one. And I want you to share this with someone who you know is really scared to kind of take things on their own, live life on their own terms, and share this episode with them. Tag them on social media with this episode, all right? Let's get on with this great interview. Dr. Suzanne Yoder, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for being here too. This is yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. This is something that actually for me is about four years, I believe, in the making. The audience doesn't know, but we met about four years ago in California, right outside of yep. Stanford. There was a global humanitarian, a global surgery course at Stanford University. And me and my wife attended and we met you, learned about your lifestyle and living the locum's life, being a pediatric surgeon. And, you know, and then also at the same time going overseas. And I think at that time you were specifically going to Haiti to perform surgery over there. And we we're just like, wow, like this is really a great, great life. And also at the same time, I think what I was really impressed about was you're really unapologetic about it. <laughs> right. So then fast forward, you know, years later, me and my wife, I transitioned finally to being independent contractors completely. And then I see you at the American College of Surgeons doing your presentation on global surgery as well as locums. And there we met again, and I was really impressed by your presentation again. So I wanted to get you on the show to come and talk about that life. Sure. Uh, literally having your cake and eating it too, doing great work here in the United States as well as overseas. Sorry about that long intro, but I just wanted to let everybody know how much I'm happy to have you on the show and excited. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here for sure. So before we get into your life, let's take it back. I always ask my guests this. Let's take it back to, let's say, the seventh grade, eighth grade. Let's learn more about Dr. Yoder when she was just Susie, Suzanne, back in the seventh, eighth grade. What were you like back then? Yeah, well, I was one of those rare breeds of kids that knew that I wanted to be a doctor forever. I just was always going to be a doctor. We have no physicians in my family, but I was sick and in the hospital for two weeks when I was five years old. And ever since the time I left the hospital, I'd always said I wanted to be a doctor. Was it a bad experience or... No, it wasn't a bad experience. It was just obviously it left a mark on me. I remember I have some very scant memories of being in the hospital and having certain tests performed. And I just remember interacting with doctors and nurses. And I just think that there was something that left a big imprint on me. In seventh and eighth grade, I was a great science student. I was, you know, school wasn't terribly hard for me. My family had moved every two years when I was growing up. So I want to say sixth grade was a transition year and eighth grade was a new school. Those are the toughest times, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You're feeling yourself out. You're changing from a personality standpoint. You really care about what other people think, you know? You definitely do. You definitely do. So there were some hurdles and some challenges, but school was never one of them. It was more adapting to the new environments that we moved to or adapting to the new school. Mm -hmm. I played sports. I was involved in arts. I kind of just liked to do it all. But I always, I wanted to be a doctor. So that was always there. 
Mm. And then let's fast forward a little bit, obviously, high school, college, medical school. What medical school did you go to? I went to Jefferson Medical College, which is now Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Mm. Thomas Jefferson University in Mm. Philadelphia. My family was living outside of Philadelphia at the time, and I really wanted to come back home. So I'd gone to college on the West Coast and wanted to come back and be in Philadelphia. Jefferson, I still call it Jefferson, was a great experience for me. The medical school really focused on being a clinical physician and caring about the whole patient. The strongest departments at Jefferson were the surgery departments and the family medicine department. Mm -hmm. So you know, that's kind of their contrasting departments. Right, like diamonds. Uh, Yeah, but it was great to have people care so deeply about specialties. So, but I went to Jefferson thinking I wanted to be a pediatrician and that was what I thought I wanted to be my whole entire life. I never had any exposure to surgery and it was in my third year of medical school doing a urology rotation that I got my first taste of surgery Everybody else on the team knew they wanted to be a surgeon. So everybody was kind of jostling for their OR days. And I was like, yeah, it's all right. You guys can go. You guys can go. And then finally, I was like, I'm sick of this. Like, I'm sick of clinic. Like, I want to go to the OR. And my first day, they did a radical nephrectomy for a gentleman who had a tumor in his kidney. And I was hooked. I Yeah, I called my mom. After I walked out of the OR and called my mom old school on like a phone that you had to like how dial. Many, how many coins did you have to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, mom, I think I want to be a surgeon. And my mom said to me later that like she knew, she was just like, I knew you would never want to be a pediatrician. Ultimately, like that you needed the physical challenge and the visual and the puzzle piecing of being a surgeon. So that's pretty again, awesome that she figured that out before you did, right? It's pretty interesting. My mom was a smart cookie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that, you gave yourself finally the permission to come on to the, the right side because I'm a surgeon stuff, right? <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> Burning the ears of all the family med docs who are listening on the show. So, but what made you decide pediatric surgery as opposed to either urology or general surgery? Obviously you had to do yeah. general surgery first, but I did my general surgery training in San Diego at UCSD and so it's back a to the West Coast. Okay. Yep. Yep. Back to the West Coast, back to the beach. It's a trauma heavy program, or it was, especially when I was going through, it was a very trauma heavy program. And I went through my five years and towards the end of my five years, I realized that the clinics that I had enjoyed, and as you know, as a surgeon, like enjoying clinic is a hard thing to say you do. But when I enjoyed clinic, it was the pediatric surgery clinics that I enjoyed. And I just loved the pediatric patients. And I, I kind of hearkened back to the, wow, I always thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Here's the combination of both specialties. Mm-hmm. But I had not done research. I was I had, about to ask, this is a yeah. lot of hoops and hurdles you got to yeah. get to be a pediatric surgeon. Yeah. So I hadn't done research. I had gone straight through five years. And I was very fortunate that Dr. David Hoyt was the head of the trauma program. And, you know, scuttlebutt was going around that I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished the program. And I was joking that I was going to surf and bartend for a year. (laughs) And obviously no one in the program found that, none of the faculty found that entertaining. So Dr. Hoyt said that after my 
trauma rotation, I was expected to come to his office and tell him what I wanted to do. And so sure enough, the day after I finished my trauma rotation as a chief, he called me and or his secretary called me and told me I was expected in his office. And he sat me down and said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I, what I want to do, I can't do because I haven't jumped through the hoops mm-hmm. and I haven't even put myself out there. And he's like, tell me what you want to do and we'll make it happen. What? Yes, I know this man was, I mean, I thanked him a million times. I'm just not sure he understands how impactful he was to me. So I told him and he said, well, let's start making this happen. And mm. so... If that was me, I would have said plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my bad. Yeah. It's your story. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, and I said pediatric surgery and he made some phone calls for me and I ended up spending some time up at UCSF at the Fetal Treatment Center, which then led down to a course of, I went through the interview trail with pediatric surgery that year and I did not get a spot, but I was offered the critical care fellowship in Kansas City at Children's Mercy Hospital. And so I spent a year there working with those docs. I did my medical I know you did. And Kansas City is a great, that was a fantastic year. I worked with fantastic physicians who I have the greatest respect for. And then fast forward, I spent two years at Yale finishing up my pediatric surgery fellowship. So thanks to Dr. Hoyt sitting me down and telling me that I should not give up on my dream because I'd gone a little bit untraditional route, if you will. It was definitely an impactful moment in meeting and he made a great impact on my life. That's a really great story. Um, I think Mm -hmm. what you were doing as a pediatric surgeon is phenomenal. But do you ever now that you have, and we're going to get into your life right now and your lifestyle right now. Sure. Do you ever go back and think about, like you said, you'd rather, or at the time you were joking around surfing and being a bartender. It's obviously not traditional. You weren't serious about doing that, but did you ever think like those seeds of how you live your life right now were kind of back then already planted or? Yes. Well, I can even go further back. Obviously, when I was in medical school, I was going down the pediatrician route. And when I made the switch and had to change my schedule as a third year and as a fourth year medical student, my dean at the time took note of this change in my trajectory. And when I graduated, he said to me, I don't know what you're going to do, Dr. Yoder, but whatever you do, I have a feeling it will be interesting. (laughs) So the seeds were always there. I was always that kid. I was always that person who had my hand kind of in everything. I'm a Gemini. So if you know anything about signs, we have dual personalities. And I'm interested in a lot of things. So I knew, even as I was saying I wanted to bartend and surf, that I wasn't going to be able to be single-minded or Mm single-focused. Now, when you go through fellowship and when you go through parts of your training programs, obviously you are single-minded and single-focused. You got to play the game. Yeah. But the whole of life, I knew I couldn't do that. So I have too many other interests and there are too many other things. And that's the reason why you're on this show. So let's talk about, let's fast forward a little bit, okay? Because now Dr. Yoder is pediatric surgeon, trained. Like, when did you start to stretch out, look the other way and say, you know what? Like, I know afterwards you talked about you went into private practice. I did. What was that like, private practice style? And then if you can, take us through that time of you practicing and then deciding that you wanted to kind of do things differently. Sure. So right out of fellowship, I took a job and it was a hospital owned practice, but it had just converted to that. So it was still kind of being run like a private practice. I was joining two other surgeons. So there were three of us at the time. 
the group is Rocky Mountain Hospital for Children in Denver, Colorado. And it was the pediatric surgery group there led by Steve Rothenberg. So it was really an experience to work with top-notch, minimally invasive surgeon and find out what being a fully trained pediatric surgeon was like. I also knew at the time that I graduated that I didn't feel like I was ready to teach residents yet. I just didn't, I felt like I needed to fumble and do a few things on my own and figure out my way. When you go through fellowship training, you learn Dr. X's way, Dr. Y's way, Dr. Z's way, but you don't really have an opportunity to develop your own way. So I wanted to work on those skills before I would consider even being in an academic environment. And I wasn't sure an academic environment was for me. I'd been exposed to global surgery service work after I'd finished my general surgery training. I'd kind of been itchy for it during general surgery training, but there was no time and there were really not any opportunities. Like we were talking earlier, there are opportunities now for residents to be involved in global surgery. Uh, but at the time, opportunities <laughs> great, fantastic, wonderful opportunities. And I heard any resident to take advantage of those. But at the time, they weren't as abundant. And I had the opportunity to go to Vietnam for a medical mission. And then after I finished my year in Kansas City, Missouri, I went with a plastic surgery group to Bolivia. And I knew that I loved the time that I got to spend in those countries and the work, the types of work that we did and how you had to learn to MacGyver things. You had to solve different problems than the types of problems that you solve in a big hospital with all the fancy gadgets. So I knew that I wanted that as part of my career, but I also knew that I had to like put in some time and figure out what being a pediatric surgeon was about. So I did that in Denver. I spent the first couple of years really just learning how to be a surgeon, learning how to stand on my own two feet and do this job. And then I was starting to feel more confident and began to take advantage of some overseas opportunities that were thrown my way. My senior partner was unable to participate in a trip to Mongolia, which then landed in my lap. He offered the opportunity to me and I turned that into four or five separate trips to Mongolia teaching laparoscopic surgery. Mind-blowing, a totally different part of the world and really solidified my desire to continue doing this kind of work. Mm. So that happened. And then the last year that I was in practice, I used all of my vacation time to just try out different ways of doing global service work. So I went on a teaching mission, like the Mongolia missions. I went on a mission where we just went and did work. We didn't really work with local providers. We just provided care. I went on one mission that had a slightly religious undertone. And then I went on a mission where we just covered the hospital. I went to Project MediShare in Port-au-Prince, Haiti over the holidays that year. And it was just a way for me to get a taste of how different medical mission opportunities, how they work. But I did that. My focus was to do that last year. I had already told my practice that I was going to be leaving at the end of the year. I knew that I was going to be moving to California and seeing what happened from there. (laughs) And now a word from our sponsor. Understanding how to run a business in medicine will put you at a unique advantage in the future. Whether it's leading a hospital, practice, or starting a new venture, the Physician CEO Program will put you in focus from day one. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. The Physician CEO Program provides an intensive 
MBA-style education made up of modules, with each module covering topics from leadership to entrepreneurial ventures. Because of their individualized structure, each participant leaves the program with their one, three, and even five-year business plan, all designed to function in the real world. If you're a physician who is looking to start your own venture, lead your practice or department, or even start planning for succession out of medicine, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Okay, so what prompted you leaving your practice, if you don't mind? And why California? Let's talk more about that. Sure. So the surfing and bartending was a joke, sort of. (laughs) I am an ocean girl. And as much as Denver is wonderful and the mountains are fantastic, I was missing the ocean. I was flying back to California far too often. And I knew I wanted to be back in California. I also knew that pediatric surgery is a very small world and you don't want to kind of burn bridges. And so I thought the best way to transition out of the job I had in Denver and into something different was to start doing locums jobs and just see what opportunities were out there. Most people, when they think of locums, I'll be honest, like I even think pediatric surgeons did locums much. Like what was the environment like? What was mindset? Yeah. It's actually surprising. Pediatric surgery, there's a lot of availability for locums. And if you look back, when I was preparing my talk for the American College of Surgeons, the American Pediatric Surgical Association actually put out a consensus statement about locums, tenon surgeons prior to the American College of Surgeons. So workforce shortage issues really kind of prompted pediatric surgery using locums providers more, I think, than other subspecialties in the surgical arena. So I knew the opportunities were out there. And I signed up with a locums company and had arranged for a couple of different gigs to start after I finished in Colorado. And I still actually flew back to Colorado and covered my old practice on weekends Mm -hmm. for a little while to cover them through their transition. Mm. So what was that life like as a just kind of living that locums life and now in charge of, you know, the finances for yourself, healthcare for yourself, insurance yep. for yourself, and then also at the same time having a little bit more time. Yeah, well, it was interesting. I think at first I thought I'd have way more time, you know, and then I realized like, oh, wait, I still have like stuff that I have to do. Like I have to manage those things that you talk about. You know, I have to make sure I have to plan my schedule. I have to plan these different jobs. I have to travel to these different jobs. I was prepared for, and anybody who jumps into this kind of work has to be prepared for the fact that your income, it becomes unstable. You know, sometimes you'll work every two weeks and get a paycheck every two weeks. Sometimes you won't work for a month and you don't get like a paycheck doesn't show up. So you just have to know that, you know, yeah, you get this really big paycheck, but don't spend it all because it's not put out the way it used to be. You know, for me, I was living literally at the beach, like right next to the ocean. And so my days off, I was hanging out with my dog and I was surfing and I was doing all the things that I had missed quite a bit when I lived in Denver. And then I think the hardest thing about the transition was walking into a new hospital. You know, every time you walk into a new assignment, it's a different system. It's a different world. And that was my biggest challenge. What about comments from, you know, previous colleagues or even people, you know, who are seeing you kind of have this different lifestyle now living on the beach? but also same time being a badass in the operating room. Were there any like ill feelings? Did you have any, you know, any bad comments behind your back or anything like that? Or? Well, obviously I wouldn't know about the ones behind my back, but I definitely know that there were people who 
found my decision to be surprising. And I think that initially, I thought it was more of a transitional decision for me. Mm-hmm. I thought that I would potentially find something in California or a job in California that would be what I was looking for. So I put off those disparaging comments. I mean, I think people say, wow, you've gone through all this training and you're just going to do locums. And yeah, I did go through all this training. And the training... I mean, this sounds kind of obnoxious, but I own that training. Like, that's mine now. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I can do with it what I wanted to do, good things, but I also don't want to lose myself. How long did it take you to get to that point to say, like what you just said? Yeah. Were you always feeling like that or did it take a couple of years ago? No, 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 no. Were you proud to say that comment and, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's an evolution. I think that there are times where, you know, I think it was an up and down roller coaster for a couple of years where I wondered if maybe I was making the wrong decision or if I was stepping you know, kind of off the traditional path in a way that I didn't want to do. So I can tell you a couple of things. I know that when I found a good locums assignment in a good hospital that feels right to me, I love going to work. I love it. I don't have a pit in my stomach that like, oh gosh, it's Monday. Like I just, I love doing what I do. And and that's why I, I do what I do because I think it's an honor and a privilege to have this job. And I love interacting with the families and the patients, but I'm not sure that I personally is built for the nine to five, 24 seven, everyday grind. I'm just not. And if I can bring the enthusiasm and the love for my job, but I can only bring it in this capacity, then that's how I'm going to bring it. That slow clap moment right now. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're getting right now from the audience right now. I love it. I love it. Good. So how did you decide to balance the way how you currently practice with global surgery, right? Like right now you just got back from Haiti, this presentation that was phenomenal where you talked about that balance. Can you take us through that? Like the thought process and the, you know, the logistics behind that? Like, let's talk about that because I want to get into the nitty gritty of practicing overseas and then coming back and comparing it to the United States. Yeah. So, you know, when I made the transition, I was involved with this project in Mongolia. And so I was flying to Mongolia quite frequently, long flight, long, you know, longer trips. And so I was really wrapped up in that. But I always knew that having this more flexible schedule, I had my ear to the ground for other opportunities. And so I jumped on a trip to Tanzania with a plastic surgery group based out of Colorado. I just tried to get in as many trips as I could. And word got around that I was working this way. And someone needed a pediatric surgeon to go down to Haiti and perform this one particular procedure. And it eventually ended up in my lap. And I flew down to Haiti and met up with an orthopedic surgery team who was there. And they had one child that needed a general surgery procedure performed. And I literally flew in, did the procedure, stayed a day and flew out. I flew back I was doing a pull-through procedure for this child who was born with imperforate anus. And I flew back six months later to do the patient's colostomy takedown. Well, I developed a rapport with this orthopedic surgery team that had been going down to Jacquemel, Haiti for many, many years. And they kept inviting me on trips. Because my schedule as a locums was so flexible, I could say, yes, yeah, I can go to Haiti and hike across the country and spend a couple of days doing surgery with you guys in Jacques Mel. Yeah, I can come down and 
you know, help you guys in the operating room. I know you don't have a lot of general surgery going on, but I like to see how you do things. Well, I started going on these trips with them. And I think the last trip I went with them, I did more cases than they did. There were more general surgery, general pediatric surgery cases, and there were orthopedic surgery cases. So it was at that moment that I said, you know what? I can do this. I've had this experience. You know, I went on all these different trips and saw how it was done. And I think I can wing this on my own. I think I can put a team together and do it on my own. So I... So now you're doing... This is all... You're putting this all together on your yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even so, more impressive. Yeah. So at that point, I founded or I started organizing my own team to go down. And we've been going down to Jacques Mel Haiti now. This is our fifth year. We just finished our trip this year. I take a small team down. And every year our goal changes. But our goal this year was to perform 40 cases in four days, we had some issues. So we ended up only operating for three days, but we did 38 cases. So I was pretty proud of us. And we saw over 50 patients. And every year we see more people, we do more cases, we build more capacity. I keep our team small. After having worked on multiple medical missions, I went on one trip to China where we had this ginormous team and we ended up doing like four cases. Uh, So yeah. So, well, not yeah, there, but I've been in those type of situations. Right, exactly. So I formulate my team in a very specific way. It's small, it's nimble. But the reason I keep it that way is I don't want anybody to be bored. I want everybody to get something out of the experience. And I want everybody to have a voice. We run it very much. Everybody's an equal. The surgeons don't run the show. I usually bring two surgeons, two anesthesiologists. I try to bring, or I have brought a pre-med student we brought some high school students. I always bring someone who's never done any medical volunteer work before. So it's their first trip. We always like to have a newbie on our team. And Why do you do that? Because I go with an organization and we do the same thing. We bring yeah. high school students and college students and people always wonder why, but I'd like to hear your Yeah. Okay. So we always have team meeting. I make everybody, we have team meeting every day. And it's a joke, kind of. It's Susie's meeting, blah, blah, blah. But I make everybody speak at the beginning about their goals for the trip. And I make everybody speak at the end about their most impactful moment of the trip. And without fail, the students, especially the high school students, end up telling the rest of my team members how amazing they are. And they end up recharging their batteries and making them enthusiastic about what they're doing. That perspective and that fresh, enthusiastic perspective does so much to all the providers who are grinding every day. And it makes them look at what they do in a totally different light. So it goes both ways. We are also providing, I write letters of recommendation for all of my students. I like, you know, that's part of the gig. Like you will get a letter of recommendation out of this, you know, put in the effort you feel you need to put in. And they get to scrub on cases. They get to learn how to sterilize instruments. They get to learn how to fold gowns. They get to learn how to take blood pressures. They get to learn from our PACU nurses. I mean, they get exposed to the whole surgical team because again, I only bring 10 people. Mm-hmm. So everybody put hands in to make it work. So they get a lot out of it, but what they give back is intense. And the other thing that happens I is I, I bring an artist. And this year, unfortunately, I was unable to have an artist with me. But every year in the past, we brought an artist. And that's for a similar reason. I like to have people there to offer a different perspective on what we do. We do it every day, especially if you work in a hospital nine to five. You're in the grind every day. And to have someone who looks at what you do or you know, even just looks at the experience in Haiti with different eyes... Um, sees something different. We had a photographer who sat in our clinic and just took pictures 
outside the door, like just sat at the door and took pictures of what was going on outside the door while we were all working Mm -hmm. in the clinic. Incredibly powerful. This is where we were. This is what we were doing. Like we had a photographer who did amazing portraits of our patients that just, you know, people still to this day, those portraits mean so much to them and bring back such good memories. So I tried to bring people who are going to offer a different perspective on exactly what we're doing with us. That's what I like. So let's stay in that same vein, like, you know, getting the perspective of the hospital from the sense of what you're not affecting, right? How did you manage the cultural differences, right? The obvious cultural differences, the translations, the superstitions, the use of alternative medications. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people who are listening to this show right now and, you know, want to know like what it's like being the white doctor going to Haiti. Like talk about all those things and how they interplay and why you continue to be passionate to come to this country and other countries. Yeah. So the great situation that I fell into when I met these orthopedic surgeons is that they were working with an existing clinic in Haiti that is run by a nonprofit based out of Virginia, um, the Community Coalition for Haiti. And they have a Haitian staff that is phenomenal. So the woman who runs their clinic now has been there for, I think, three years now. And she has a master's in public health, I want to say from BU. And she hires fantastically talented people who run that clinic all year long. Mm -hmm. So they have Haitian physicians, they have Haitian nurses, we have Haitian scrub nurses, and we work with this wonderful Haitian team, these great translators who work with us. So my team, you know, the emphasis is on respecting that this is not our culture, right? Mm -hmm. This is their culture. And so we defer to the translators and we defer to the people that we're working with a lot of times to help us explain things in a way that's culturally appropriate. And we ask them questions about, you know, okay, well, there is this alternative medicine. Tell us what that means. And, you know, we can only explain what we can offer and be respectful if people don't want to hear it. I think that working very, very closely with local partners is key to the success of any public health program is that you work with the local community to provide what they're looking for. And the other key for me is that I have pledged to them that I will come back every year. I've pledged to them that I'll be consistent. I've pledged to them that this is important to me, that I'm not just going to stop coming. And we've done it so far, you know, and we'll continue to do it. I have no intention of stopping. I schedule my next trip the minute I get back to the U.S. from my previous trip. So, you know, we're committed to being there for them. And it helps us with our referral partners and it helps us with the patients. They recognize us, you know. How many times a year are you doing this? Currently, I'm only going one a year. I feel like we're getting to the point where the demand, we could go twice a year. Right now, I'm thinking of piloting just a shorter trip in April. So our trip involves four or five clinic days, clinics and operating days. But then we do do some excursions because I want people to see the country. I want them to experience some of the beautiful things that are there and get out and be in the country. Our April trip, we would just curtail that. It would just be more of a working trip. Mm. So for people who have come multiple times before and just go get some work done, do some post-op checks, do some pre-op checks, do some operations and then get out. So, You know, when me and my wife go overseas, we oftentimes say it's like this bi-directional education, right? Yeah. We oftentimes end up learning so much more from them from a tropical medicine standpoint or even yeah. from surgical operation things that... What I mean by that specifically, there's certain things that we just don't do in the United States anymore. Yep. You know, like hernia repairs with 
without using mesh, right? <laughs> well, that's um, pediatric surgery right there. We yeah, don't use mesh. So yeah. True. You're right. So you <laughs> yeah. are an expert in that. But from a general surgery adult standpoint, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, or even just other things that we don't see too much. So I oftentimes learn, you know, a lot. And then oftentimes I often say that going and doing medical missions for me is as close to a professional reboot as I can get. 100%. I mean, that's why I encourage every provider that I know to try it. Try it once. Like, And we try to make our trip easy and quite accessible to people who want to try it because that's exactly what it does. It takes it down to the core of what being a doctor, why you wanted to be a doctor. It erases all the framework that currently can be quite imposing. You know, you're not dealing with insurance companies. You're not dealing with, I mean, we're very responsible. You know, we do timeouts, we follow the procedures, we document, we type operative notes. I mean, we do all of the traditional things that are important for patient care, but you get rid of a lot of the other stuff. Mm. What has this done for your lifestyle? Like, what do you get? Because obviously you're doing a great service over there, but what has this done for your lifestyle, for your life, your outlook? I mean, I've gotten to a place where I've moved. I lived in Los Angeles. I've moved recently to a much smaller town in California where they don't even have a pediatric surgery group here. So if I wanted to have a full-time job here, I couldn't. But there's an airport that flies me quite easily to wherever I want to go. And I have the freedom to sit with my calendar and to figure out what I want to do with my time. And I think to some people that may sound incredibly selfish, but I know that I'm a better doctor because I have control over my time and where I choose to spend that time and how I choose to spend that time. I love it. Now, I remember when I met you four years ago, when you were doing locums, you were taking your dog with you to different locals. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pivot just a little bit. What's that experience like now? Are you still, when you do locums, are you out of the California area? And are you still like, how do you negotiate things like that even? Like, yeah. So the way I work right now is I work with one locums company and I also have a private contract with one hospital in Arizona. So in Arizona, I usually fly to Arizona. My dog does not fly. He's 11. And he's never been on an airplane and I wouldn't put him through that stress. He has a very nice lifestyle now. He lives by the beach. He goes to the beach twice a day. So I don't want to mess with that. When I do, I am going to Arizona for the holidays completely for two weeks and I will drive and I will take him with me. So I just stay in accommodations that are pet friendly and that's how that works for me. If I work in California, I bring him with me just because I can drive him there. But if I do have to fly, I don't take him with me. And I have to find dog sitters. So in Los Angeles, I had a team. I used to call him... My dog's name is Bo. And it was Bo's team of blondes because my dog has an affinity <laughs> for beautiful blonde women. And he had all of these blondes who would dog sit him. And so now that we've moved, we have a different crew of people. But my dog is very personable. So he makes friends easy and people love to take care of him. So it's a good gig. But you do have to think about that. You know, as I said in my American College of Surgeons presentation, you, you have to think about those details. I don't have children. I know people who work a locum lifestyle who do have children. I think I would find that incredibly challenging. They do travel with their children, the, the people that I know. That's got to be difficult. Uh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't do it because... It would be too hard for me. But yeah, people do it. They make it work. So after this, because I want to get that, 
this is a huge hall, a huge convention center. And you, you <laughs> and a whole bunch of different surgeons who are speaking on this had this huge hall. Yeah, it was um, intimidating for me. <laughs> well, I couldn't tell. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, Good. It was a great presentation. Like I wanted yeah. to give you a standing, you know, I literally wanted to get up and start doing a slow. <laughs> I just really felt that you were really the one who owned your lifestyle and owned the great things that you were doing. And I loved it. Can you talk about like kind of the reaction that you got afterwards, the amount of people who came up to you, some of the questions they were asking? Because, you know, these are things that when you, I'm sure when you went to previous ACS meetings, at least when I went to previous ACS meetings, people weren't talking about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've hit a critical point now. Yeah. That whole experience was somewhat terrifying for me because I think like, as we discussed earlier, you know, it's an evolution getting comfortable with this. It's an evolution getting comfortable with the fact that, yeah, I like the way I work. And I feel like I'm doing a good job and it works for me and it doesn't work for everybody. But I knew I had to bring that to that moment or else my talk was going to fall flat and it was going to be like I was making an excuse for something I feel I don't have to make an excuse for. But after the talk, I was blown away because plenty of people came up to me afterwards with lots of great questions and lots of interest in, you know, what I was doing. I had a couple of residents come up and talk to me about wanting to come to Haiti with me. I had a couple of other people like yourself talk to me about other opportunities. I mean, it was definitely mind-blowing. And it gave me confidence that hopefully surgery is going to move to a point where there are going to be other options. There are going to be job share options. There are going to be other ways that surgeons can work where, you know, they're not looked down upon. It's not, oh, you're not going for the big academic post. No, I have other things that matter to me in my life. And I love my job. I respect the profession, but there's more to me than being a surgeon. Mm. You know, one of my third guests on my show a long time ago, two years ago, his name was Dr. Dre. He said, I love my patients, but I love myself also. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, all right, like I, I can't sacrifice my entire life. For this. I love it. This is amazing. But at the same time, like, can I just be me? Right. You know, so. And I've always thought that you are really not any good for your patients if you can't relate to a life outside of medicine. If your tunnel vision in just being a surgeon, it's hard for you to relate. I mean, it's super hard and kids don't let you forget it. I mean, kids are unforget. They're so honest and they won't let you hide behind, you know, white coats. <laughs> they don't need them. So, yeah, well, it just, you know, kids gravitate towards your experience. Kids want to know what you're about. It's nice for me to be able to share with my patients that I have a dog, that I go surfing, you know? It's a lifestyle that I think a lot of us, or excuse me, a lot of people in academic medicine, they won't say it out loud, but I'm sure they want something similar. You know, Yeah, I mean, people have told me, people have told me that like, oh, you're doing what all of us want to do. I now, and I don't believe that, you know, I, I don't believe that. And I certainly, we need all the people who are, who are in academics and we need them for sure. But there's room for it to do other things also. There's plenty of room to do other things. For those who are listening, who are on the fence, they're not sure if they want to do this because of financial issues. Any financial sacrifices that you've had to take becoming a locum's doc? Because there are people who want to know, like, am I going to have a degradation in my income or anything like that? Sure. I mean, I definitely know that I could be making more money if I were a full-time physician in certain positions in the country. I definitely know that. But I make a very comfortable amount of money. It's not consistent. And I said that earlier. You know, there are times where I won't work for a stretch or there's not a demand for a stretch and you have to build in for those sorts of things. You have to be a little bit smarter and I'm not a very smart financial person. So I've sought help for that. And you know, you have to put money away in your own retirement fund. Your hospital's not doing it for you. 
you have to pay for your own health insurance, which means you have to find your own health insurance and figure out what works for you. So those sorts of things you have to think about and you have to spend some time dealing with. I definitely make less money than my peers who are full-time pediatric surgeons. However, I work 100 days a year. So mm, wow. there you go. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's move on. I love it. I love it. I love it. Own it. So let's do some fast fire questions. I just ask you one question. You tell me what's the thing that comes off the top of your head. Don't think too much about it. You game? Sure. Okay. So if we can parse down this podcast episode to one important thing, what is that one thing that you want people to learn from this podcast? You don't have to walk on the path. You can make your own path and you should find the path that calls you and that draws you and go that way. Love it. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself as a pre-med? What I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Underscore, just underline what I Yeah, it would have saved me some of the angst, you know, the things that you touched on. Like, you know, it would have saved me to know, you know what, you can do it. Just go, go your way. Okay, what's a personal habit that has helped you to be more successful or has helped you to be a doc outside the box? personal habit. Well, I'm a good traveler. Like I'm very mobile. Like I said, I moved every two years growing up. So being portable and being able to work in different environments, I guess there are a whole bunch of habits that fall into that. But mostly being adaptable, being able to go with flow has been something that's helped me be successful doing locums and working internationally. Mm. Name a famous figure or someone that you admire, someone that you find inspiring that you wouldn't mind trading places for just for 24 hours. Ooh, for 24. Michelle Obama. Gosh. She's on a high right now for a book, right? She is super on a high. I mean, you know, obviously she comes to mind, but what an incredible and inspiring life she's led. And yeah, it would be fun. I would actually like to go back to when she was actually in the White House. I think that would be cool. Like 24 hours of being the first lady. Mm. I think that would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) I think so too. Yeah. Okay. What's one life hack or just like a piece of technology that you use that makes Dr. Yoder's easier? I got two for you. The technology hack is the app TripIt. T-R-I-P-I-T? Yep. TripIt. It's not TripIt Pro. You don't have to buy it. Like you can just use the free TripIt. And it organizes all my travel for me. So Mm. I send all my airline reservations, all my hotels, all my rental cars to that app and trip it. Yep. And it keeps me organized so that I don't miss flights and I know where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be. Okay. Um, So that's the one hack. And And then the other hack... I love that you gave us the uh, free version. (laughs) Yeah, the free. Yeah, you don't have to do the TripIt Pro. I've never been a TripIt Pro person. So I mean, although, you know, probably should be at this point. The other hack is for all the ladies out there and the guys too, always pack a bikini in your carry-on bag. Now, such an important hack. (laughs) There will be a hot tub when you don't expect there to be a hot tub. There will be a swimming pool when you don't expect there to be a swimming pool. It's very expensive to buy a bikini in another country. It's often very hard to buy a bikini in another country. Mm. And if you're really stuck, you have an extra pair of underwear. Uh, Always pack a bikini in your carry-on, girls. I love it. I love it. You know, and the majority, you know, it's funny. The majority of my listeners actually are women. So good for them. They're going to appreciate that. I love that. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. (laughs) Sure. Now, Dr. Suzanne Yoder, um, I asked all of my guests this question. I just want you to answer the end of it. Okay. It says, I'm not just a doc. I'm a... 
All right. I'm a slightly rebellious, but always curious student of life. Boom. I love Boom. it. I love and it. And a surfer. We can keep going. We keep adding slashes out there. And I'm cool with that. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Awesome. Dr. Su- Dr. Suzanne, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, so much for what you're doing, you know, just being a global citizen, you know, and providing care to people wherever they are in the world and specifically at a place that needs it the most, such as Haiti. Awesome. When I met you four years ago, you were really gracious and very genuine and very unapologetic at that point. And, you know, I just kind of admired you for that. And obviously, like I said in the beginning of the show, watching you speak again at the American College of Surgeons was really inspiring to see you really own your career and really own what you do on a global scale. So I was just really impressed by that. And I just want to say, oftentimes we don't get a chance, particularly in surgery, to acknowledge people for what they do. So I just want to say you're doing amazing work. Apology for what you're doing and keep up the great work. And thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you. This was so much fun. And I love your podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. It certainly brings a great community of people together. And I look forward to continue listening. It's been so much fun. Thank you, Nee. 